Hello and welcome once again to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dolan Thomas. Today we're going to talk about confabulation, uh, which is a fancy word for remembering something that never happened. Um, And it's different from lying uh, in that you're not intending to deceive anyone and you actually think that the thing you're remembering is true, like you don't realize that it's false. And it's usually something your mind is kind of subconsciously doing, um, this false memory. So sometimes it's just to fill in gaps in the memory. If you can't remember something, your mind kind of doesn't like that, so it'll just throw something in there (laughs) to make it make sense. Um, And it uh, kind of the way you can tell is um, most people, when they're asked about something that they can't remember or that they just don't know the answer to, they'll just say, I don't know. If you're suffering from some kind of condition that makes you more likely to confabulate, you'll just make something up. But again, you're not deliberately making it up. Your subconscious just fills it in, and then you remember it as if it were true. Um, So like an example might be, how did you get that scar, right? And if you don't remember, like most people say, I don't remember, if you're suffering from one of these conditions, um, uh, you might just come up with a story uh, that makes sense to you, even if it never actually happened. Um, there's a bunch of different, uh, you know, conditions that can make it more likely for you to confabulate. Um, this could be a traumatic brain injury, like an aneurysm. It could be Alzheimer's, schizophrenia. There's this one condition called Wernicke-Korsakoff, which is actually a thiamine deficiency caused by alcoholism, um, which interestingly enough can be treated with a lot of vitamin B, uh, but that can also lead to confabulation. Um, a lot of the foundational work on this was done by Frederick Bartlett in the early 1900s and then Elizabeth Loftus more in the 70s and 80s. Um, and what, uh, I believe it was Bartlett who did this. Um, one of the experiments is you sort of come up with a bunch of like common myths, right, that are like across different cultures. Um, and then you throw in one or two details that aren't common to that culture, and you have the person from that culture try to recount the story that you've told them. And what they'll do is they'll take the things that aren't common to their culture and either omit them completely or change them back to the way that they remember them from their own culture. Uh, so that's a, kind of one version of, of confabulation that they've looked at experimentally. Um, And his theory was that this had to do with a notion called schemata, right? That we sort of have these working models for the way the world works, and if stuff doesn't fit into it, right, we'll kind of confabulate to make it fit. Um, There's this other uh, effect called the Dees-Rodiger-McDermott effect, and it's this idea that um, if I give you a list of items like bed and pillow and other items... Um, and then ask you to repeat as many of those items, you know, from memory as possible, um, you might add a, add a word that wasn't there. Like if the word sleep wasn't there, you'll add it because you're confabulating. It just makes sense for the word to be there, even though it wasn't actually there. And that's sort of a confabulation called the DRM or Dees-Rodiger-McDermott effect. Um, and this is kind of why leading questions are really dangerous because if you're trying to get somebody to remember something and you ask questions that sort of suggest what you want them to say, it's very possible that they will just say it, right? Um, especially if they're children, we'll get to that later. Um, uh, but that's, you know, this becomes really dangerous because of kind of problems with, you know, recovered memory, right? So incidents of you know, traumatic things that might have happened. So there was this satanic panic in the 80s where people were remembering these horrible kind of like, you know, ceremonies or whatever. And Loftus actually came into um, testifying one of these. But, um, like, it came out later that this was just a big moral panic and people were had confabulated a lot of these memories. Um, and it really is, you know, problematic that it's possible to implant, as it were, false traumatic memories. Like, they've done this with, like, dog bites that people never actually had. But, you know, you in a leading kind of way can make them... Th- remember this thing that never actually happened. And sadly, children are more highly susceptible to forced confabulation than adults are, and it has a lot to do with, 
you know, how they form memories at that age, you know, a willingness to please, you know, adults and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, fortunately, you can mitigate some of that simply by tailoring how you're asking questions to the age of the participant. Um, so it's not a lost cause exactly, but it's one of those you just have to be very, very careful um, because you can sort of generate, not generate really, but like elucidate these these uh, memories that may not in fact have actually happened. Um, the scariest version of this though, and I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but it's worth repeating if I have. So there was a guy at uh, UX Copenhagen who worked for Google and he was talking about how they look at a lot of, his job was to look at kind of image research. And one of the things he had found out was that if you show someone a bunch of photos from their childhood, and let's say one of those photos is of them in a balloon with their dad. Even if that never happened, they will sort of point to it and say, oh yeah, I remember that. That was, you know, a bright sunny day and blah, blah, blah. And it never actually happened. You were literally implanting memories with images. Now imagine what like a Facebook might do with that, right? Like it's a super scary notion, but that is how like susceptible we are. Um... So this gets really scary, too, when you think about the criminal justice system and witness testimony, right? So if you're looking at photos in you know, a lineup or whatever, um, and you misidentify someone, you're more likely to have confidence in that misidentification if the people you're with kind of affirm it and be like, oh, yeah, that's who we thought it was, right? You'll be even more confident. And apparently even months later, you'll look back at that and be like, oh, yeah, that was the guy. Um, so this gets really dangerous, right? Um, so some of the sort of like pseudoscience around this or um, uh, th th theories that have, you know, uh, are susceptible to confabulation. Uh, there's been a lot of tearing holes in kind of Freud's repressed memory theory, you know, because it is kind of, you know, there's a lot of confirmation bias with confabulation that can come in there. Um, and interestingly enough, Dianetics and Scientology apparently based some of its work on Freud's repressed memory theory, so they're all sorts of, it inherited a bunch of flaws from that. Um, so there's some confabulation problems there. Um, there's one called uh, flashbulb memory, which I found really interesting. There's, uh, it's this notion that, like, where were you when memories, where it's like, where were you on the day, you know, what were you doing when uh, you first heard that JFK was assassinated or when 9-11 happened or some, you know, huge major event. And as it turns out, like, those memories aren't as sort of solid as people think they are. There was this guy, Ulrich uh, Nicer, who compared journal entries from those dates with what the people said they remembered, and it was not usually very accurate, right? Like, we, we confabulate um, more than we think we do when it comes to those major world-changing events. Also a myth in this arena is photographic memory. Apparently that's not really a thing. You can kind of train your brain to get better and remember, remember more things than most people can remember, but like that literal like snapshot I see it once I remember every detail isn't so much a thing. However, there is this thing called hyperthymesia, and basically it's people who can remember with astonishing clarity autobiographical information, just stuff about their lives, and when they've studied it, it's not so much that they're great at remembering so much as that they're crappy at forgetting. Um, and this is a problem because sometimes these memories will come back unbidden, right? Like they'll see something that'll remind them of a thing and without any control, suddenly they'll be flooded with all these memories. It's like a real problem. Um, another sort of thing that can like be susceptible to confabulation is the notion of past life regressions, right? That, that this is another thing where it's like, okay, confabulation can really compound it and make this seem more real than it might actually be. Um, also one of the problems with, uh, torture, right, is this notion that are you really getting reliable information? And obviously it's unethical to do real research around this, but that is sort of one of the big concerns is in addition to being unethical, it also probably isn't getting you the information that you need. Um, 
And a lot of this all comes back to something we've talked about previously uh, on this uh, podcast where we think, we'd like to think that memory is like a tape recorder or like a surveillance, you know, camera. Like it's just capturing everything and it's really up to our brains to try to retrieve, right, the data from that perfect database when in fact it's much more like reconstruction and like a bunch of like day players who are putting on a show about the thing that happened <laughs> and that you might swap out actors as you get older, right? So it gets more and more fuzzy what actually happened, but your confidence in it is the confidence you have in a surveillance tape, which is problematic because it's really just a bunch of mm, semi-okay actors playing out something that happened. Um, uh, so this one has a lot of neuropsychological implications where different parts of the brain are implicated in different kinds of confabulation. Um, so there's a German psychiatrist, Emil Kraepelin, who kind of looked at this and said for like a simple confabulation where it's like a basic you know, memory error, the medial temporal lobe uh, was apparently uh, kind of implicated in that. Um, some, something was going wrong there. Whereas fantastic confabulation, right, that time you rode a unicorn, um, that's something to do with what's called the supervisory system, and that involves the frontal cortex. So they really started to nail this down to very specific parts of the brain that might be having trouble. Um, and... You know, there's kind of like there all there are tons, tons of theories about why and how confabulation happens. But some of them, some of the themes are things like this notion that there's kind of two functions going on when you're trying to remember something. One is like retrieving the correct memory, right? Um, like this is the thing that happened. But then there's the function of evaluating what you've retrieved. Like, did that really happen? Is that the right memory? And either or both of those could be broken, right, when you're confabulating, right? You maybe you retrieved the wrong memory, or maybe you retrieved the wrong memory, and then the part of you that is able to tell it's the wrong memory is also broken, so it gets through. So there's many points of failure, right, for, for memory there. Um, another interesting phenomenon they've observed is that if you lie, if you have like a lie that you're telling over and over and over again for long enough, you might actually start to believe it's true. <laughs> so this is another form of confabulation where you've just basically ingrained it now and you actually think this is a real thing. It's technically no longer lying. Um, and this is sort of uh, one of the things, you know, they're still studying confabulation um, and really at this point trying to figure out, like, where is the line between delusion and confabulation? Um, and where's the line between, like, it being a pathology, like it's actually causing harm versus, well, everybody kind of their memory every now and then. So that's that's something people are still trying to figure out. Um, there are, in fact, treatments for um, certain uh, kinds of confabulation where uh, it's really about kind of retraining your brain to do better at the job of remembering stuff correctly, and it's going to be harder for you than most people, but you know, you can train yourself to do it, and it's some of it is simple things like just keeping a diary so you can have something to check against when you're trying to remember stuff. Um, I kind of want to close out with a couple of just crazy versions of confabulation that you know, just kind of blow my mind. And these aren't necessarily memory errors per se. They're more like real-time uh, confabulation. And so one is uh, Capgrass syndrome, and it's this belief that an imposter hasn't replaced a loved one, right? It's you are convinced that the person you see is not the real person, that they've been replaced by someone, and you're con kind of confabulating that like in real time. The other one that I think like really got me interested in neuropsychology and in psychology in general that like just blew my mind as understanding that our brains can really screw with us is called Anton syndrome. And it's basically a denial of blindness. So you have someone who's, you know, the neuron basically the 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 physiological thing that would allow them to see is broken, but the kind of optic, you know, uh, processing isn't broken. So they think they can see, they cannot. So if you were to ask them to describe the room they're in, they would describe it in great detail. 
However, if you were to throw a ball to them, they would not catch it. They would not even see it, right? So it's this incredible ability for the mind to just fool us. Like that, that to me, was like the, the seminal example of, oh, wow, we really can't trust our brains, right? And weirdly on the flip side, wow, our brains are incredible at creating worlds, right? <laughs> like that's an incredible feat to not be able to see and then still create a perfect room around you. So it is a great and terrible thing. Uh, anyway, that is it for this week uh, for the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dylan Thomas, and we will see you next time. <laughs>